Section 9 of the Purple Cloud. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April Gonzalez. The Purple Cloud by Matthew Fifth Shiel. Section 9. I came inside of the coast in the morning at 26 August, somewhere about Hornsey, where I did not see any town, for I put up to Hampton Port, and went on further south, no longer bothering with instruments, but coasting up haphazard, now in sight of land, and now in the centre of a circle of sea, not admitting to myself the most of his loitering slowness, nor thinking at all, but ignoring the deep buried fear of the tomorrow which I shirk, and instinctively hiding myself in today. I passed the wash, I passed Yarmouth Felkstone, by now the things that floated motionless on the sea beyond numbering, for I could hardly lower my eyes ten minutes and lift them without seeing it another there, so that soon after dusk I, too, had to lie still among them all, some morning, for they lay dark, and to move at any pace would have been to drown the already dead. Well, I came to Thamesmouth, and lay pretty well in among the flats and pansands towards eight one evening, not seven miles from Sheppey and the North Kent coast. I did not see any nor light, nor guard the light, and all along the coast I had seen no light, but as to that I said not one word to myself, not admitting it, nor letting my heart know what my brain thought, nor my brain know what my heart surmised, but a death, with a mock mistrustful underlook, I would regard a darkling land, holding it a sentient thing that would be playing a prank upon a poor man like me. And the next morning, when I move again, my father by corners were very well aware of the Prince Jan lightship, and also the township, for there they were, but I would not look at them at all, nor go near them, for I did not wish to have anything to do with whatever might have happened beyond my own ken, and it was better to look straight before, seeing nothing, and concerning oneself with oneself. The next evening, after having gone out to sea again, I was in a little to the east by south of the North Foreland, and I saw no light there nor any sun had light, but over the sea vast signs of wreckage, and the coast was strewn with old wrecked fleets. I turned about south-east, very slowly moving, for anywhere hereabouts hundreds upon hundreds of craft lay dead within ten-mile circle of sea, and by two in the fore they had wandered up well inside the French cliffs, for I had said, I will go and see the light beam of the great revolving drum on Calais Pier, that nightly beams halfway over sea through England. And the moon shone clear in the southern heaven that morning, like a great old dying queen whose court swarms distantly from around her, diffident, pale and tremulous, and pale the nearer, and I could see the mountain shadows in her spotty full face, and her mystery aureole, and her lights on the sea, as if a kisses had stolen in the kingdom of sleep, and all among the quiet ships mysterious white trails and powderings of light, like palace corridors in some fiery light forlorn, full of breathless worn whispers, scandals and runnings to and fro, and leers, and agitated lost embraces, and flies of the princess, and deathbed of the king. And on the north-east horizon a bank of brown cloud that seemed to have no relation with the veld, and yonder, not far, the white coast cliffs, not so low as at Calais near, but arranged in mass separated by veils of sword, each with its wreck, when no light of any revolving drum I saw. I could not sleep that night, for all the operations of my mind and body seemed in abeyance. Mechanically I turned the ship westward again, 
and when the sun came up, there, hardly two miles from me, were the cliffs of Dover, and on the crenulated summit of the castle I spied the Union Jack hanging motionless. I heard eight to nine o'clock strike in the cabin, and I was still at sea, but some mad, audacious whisper was on my brain, and at ten-thirty, the second September, immediately opposite the Crosswell Costume House, the Boreal's anchor chain, after a voyage of three years, two months, and fourteen days, while thundering, thundering, through the starboard horse hole. Ah, heaven, but I must have been stark mad to let the anchor go, for the effect upon me of that shocking obstreperous hubbub, breaking in upon all that cemetery repose that blessed morning, and lasting it seemed a year, was most appalling, and at sudden racket I stood excruciated, with shivering knees and flinching heart, God knows, for not less terrifically uproarious than the clatter of the last tram it raged and raged, and I thought that all the billing dead could not fail to start and rise at alarum so excessive, and question me with their eyes. On the top of the crosswall, near I saw grey cat fearlessly crawl, at the end where the street begins, I saw a single gaslight pearly burn that broad day, and his foot a black man lay on his face clad only in a shirt and one boot. The harbour was almost packed with every sort of craft, and on the Calais over boat, eight yards from my stern, which I must left Calais crowded to suffocation, I saw the rotted dead lie heap, she being unmoored, and continually grinding against an anchored green brig. And when I saw that, I dropped down to my knees at the capstan, and my poor heart sobbed out the frail cry, Will my Lord God thus destroy the work of thy hand? After a time I got up, went below in a state of somnambulism, took a packet of pemmican cakes, leaped to the land, and went following the railway that runs from the Admiralty Pier. In an enclosed passage ten yards long, with railway masonry on one side, I saw five dead lie, and could not believe that I was in England, for all were dark-skinned people, three gaudily dressed, and two in flowing white robes. It was the same when I turned into a long street, leading northward, for here was a hundred or more, and never saw I, except in Constantinople, where I once lived eighteen months, so variegated a mixture of races, black, brunette, brown, yellow, white, in all shades, some emaciated like people dead from hunger, and overlooking them all. One English boy with a clean-eaten collar sitting on a bicycle, supported by a lamp post which his arms class, he proving clearly the extraordinary suddenness of death which had overtaken them all. I did not know why there, nor why I went, nor had I the least idea whether all this was visually seen by me in the world, which I had known, or in some other. It was all fantasy of my disembodied spirit, for I had the thought that I, too, might be dead since old ages, and my spirit wandering now through the universe of space, in which there was neither north nor south, nor up nor down, no measure nor relation, no aught but whatever save an easy consciousness of a dream about bottomlessness of grief or pain i think i felt nothing though i have a sort of memory now that some sound resembling a sober groan though i have a sort of memory now that some sound resembling a sob or groan though it was neither came at regular clock intervals from my bosom during three or four days meantime my baby registered like a tape machine details the most frivolous the most ludicrous and if a street Strawn Street, Snargate Street, Black Fair for the side, White and Mean for the top, with a portly carrot priest on his back, 
whose robes had been blown to his spread knees, as if lifted and neatly folded there, a violent bow gripped between the thick, irregular teeth of a little spaniel with brushed back hair and a mad-looking eyes, or shoes on the foot of a French girl, one black, one brown, who lay in the street about as numerous as gunners who fall round the carriage, at intervals of five to ten feet, the majority, as was the case also in Norway and on the ships, in poses of distraction, with spread arms or wildly distorted limbs, like men who, the instant before death, called upon the rocks and hills to cover them. On the left I came to an opening in the land, called, I believe, to shaft, and into this I turned, climbing a very great number of steps, almost covered at one point with dead. The steps I began to count, but left off, then the dead, and left off. Finally at the top, which must be even higher than the castle, I came to a great open space laid out with gravel walks and so fortifications, barracks, a citadel. I did not know the town, except by the passing through, and was surprised at a breath of you. Between me and the castle to the east lay the district of crowding houses, brick and rockstone, mixed in a distance with vague azure haze, and to the right to harbour, the sea, with their ships, and visible around me all the heights seven or eight dead, biting the dust, the sun now high and warm, and hardly a cloud in the sky, and yonder a mist which was a coast of France. It seemed too big for one poor man. My head nodded. I sat on a bench, black painted and hard, the seat in back of horizontal boards, with intervals, and as I looked, I nodded, heavy-headed and weary, but it was too big for me. And as I nodded with forehead propped in my left hand, and packet of pemmican cakes in my right, there was in my head somehow an old shriek song of my childhood, and I groaned it sleepily, like a coronax and dread funerals ninias, jerking, and the packet big jam in my right hand, falling heavily and rising in time. I'll buy the ring, you'll wear the kids, servants to wait, and now a ting ting ting, ting ting, won't be happy, ting ting, that shall be it, I'll buy the ring, you'll wear the kids, Servants arrayed on our ting-ting-ting. So maundering, I fell forward upon my face, and for twenty-three hours, the living undistinguished from the dead, I slept there. End of section 9 Recording by April Gonzalez in Cavita, Philippines